Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. podcast and with good reason the flow grappling team once again in the studio myself howell t chase smith reed connell and will safford here to break down some of the most important some of the most exciting and just generally some of the most whimsical and trivial trivial jujitsu news of the last week or so whimsical let's take a new direction right (laughs) it's a bit serious lately yes yeah okay So, um, a lot going on. September's been crazy. I think we've discussed that more than once. They've been pretty busy here at Flow Grappling HQ. And we're on the road this weekend for more events. But um, just want to recap first before we start looking ahead. What did you guys think? Last weekend, the big news, Gordon Ryan returning to IBJJF tournament for the first time in three years to win double gold at the Nogi Pants. What do you guys think? I think he, I think he proved himself. I think he did awesome. Again. Yeah. <laughs> he proved himself again, exactly. I mean, he, he's made a name for himself as being a sub-only guy, heel hooker, right? But, man, he was taking everybody's back. He submitted all of his opponents. He was even doing wrestling. He was, you know, that was one thing that he really wanted to improve was He did wrestling. say that. He did so say he that. he was standing with guys, and he, I think he got two takedowns. So I, it was just a, it was awesome to see. I mean, he submitted every single opponent he faced. So yes, he did. It, including Kynan Duarte in an amazing final, uh, Kynan Really showed a lot of heart and a lot of great technique in that match. Is probably one of my favorites of the of the year. It's a great nogi match. Yeah, Kynan's one of the big up and coming names from the Atos team, right? Obviously, a black belt that we've been, you know, very excited to see competing in his new rank. But uh, Gordon showing that man, you don't get to the top of the tree by accident, right? He kind of called out Gordon too, right? He um, right. he signed up for the ultra heavyweight division, mm-hmm. didn't end up making it to the finals there with Gordon, so he didn't face Gordon in his weight class. They ended up going in the absolute division final. Kynan beat. Uh, Jackson Sozin in the semifinal and like you said man they had just an incredible match uh, I was watching it live there and I thought Kaiden was going to pull it off you know I thought Kaiden was going was going to do it he looked so good he had, had my back had, yeah had the right ga- game plan I thought to to really stifle Gordon's game but um just uh, a testament to Gordon's poise and and how good he is, man. He came on late. I think the last minute ended up mounting. Um, took his back. Took his back. Took his back. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah, an incredible, what incredible, incredible match. That was an awesome match. I saw some shades of, of Bouchesha there where you, sometimes Bouchesha gets in a little bit of trouble and then he just explodes <laughs> and just comes out of nowhere and takes the guy's back or submits him. You know him. what, though? I think Kynan... 
kind of prove that you know he just became a black belt, right? So yeah. he's twenty. Was, he's twenty years he's old. Twenty man, he can hang with the best of the best in gi and no gi. So I think we 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 haven't seen kind of best stuff yet. Yeah, yeah, that, that's totally. Do true. you know one thing that I did like as well was we were talking about Gordon working his wrestling. Uh, did you see that takedown that he hit? The identical to the one that Henzo used in his MMA fight. Mm. Oh, like, he had that, that standing body lock, and he put that hook in all the way across oh. and stuff. And like, it was funny because I'm, I'm watching it. Right? I'm right there at Matt's side filming it and stuff. And I hear some guy behind me in Portuguese say, "Oh my God, look! It's Henzo's hook." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, he trains at Henzo Gracie's, right? So yeah. No wonder. Gordon even said to me afterwards, he's like, "Yeah, like you know, Henzo was showing it to us, you know, just just before the MMA fight." Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you know awesome. what? He gives like all of his credit to John Danaher. You know, that's the one thing that he always does after match. You know, I got to thank John Danaher, but John Danaher came from Henzo Gracie, right? So, how much do you have to give to to Henzo for how far Gordon? I think that Danaher is always very, um, you know, appreciative. Yeah, none like, of them would be there yeah, without, yeah. without Henzo, right? So he always mentions that in his his Instagram posts, which are gold. So yeah, but definitely that, that is always interesting that, that Gordon, you know, as far as brash and as cocky, you know, and, and as as um, you know outspoken as he is on Instagram, man, he's I, I think he's one of the most professional guys in jiu jitsu, especially you know when, when it comes to thanking his coaches and, and and that type of thing. So he's he's always a, he also gave kind of a ton of credit on his Instagram. I don't know if you guys saw that post, but he said, "Man, that was a great match. Your yeah. your talent he is limitless." Great future ahead of yeah. him and stuff. That was a pretty classy move, actually. It was a great yeah, move. Totally so, agree. Yeah. and, and, and um, <laughs> you know, Gordon's got a reputation as uh, as basically talking a ton of shit online. You know, so it was kind of nice to see that actually, man. You know, he 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 is a, like you say, he's a pro. He can be respectful when he, you know. I think oh, kind of maybe earned his respect in that match. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, took it to him. That's yeah. the thing. So, but he's been training a lot in the gi. I know. I know. I've been there a couple of times in the last month or month or two, and I've seen him training a lot in the gi. You know, so it was nice to see him. Uh, I just can't wait to see that. Let's go already. You know, in let's see Gordon in the gi. Come Gordon on, in the yeah. gi. We're definitely waiting for that. Anyway, moving on quickly because we got a lot to break down. But uh, another <laughs> two two very memorable incidents from the uh, Nogi Pants. First one is we have a new term in jiu-jitsu, <laughs> courtesy of Mr. Michael Perez, ghosting. Yes. What is ghosting? Who would like to describe what ghosting is? That's when you Trickery. stop talking to a girl. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, it was, it was hilarious. And, and I don't know. People are seem to be pretty divided if it was a, a dick move or just um, strategy. But Sweep, Mike had to... Sweeper submit on ghosting. Sweeper oh. submit. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I was right next to the... I, Richie, I filmed it, right? I put the clip up on Instagram. I think you just posted it, Will, on the live feed. Yep. Man, like, I was like, what is happening right now? And then he, like, dives it. Because he basically, he's there in, like, knee ride. And he just, press just stands up. Just stands up, disengages, and kind of, like, walks away. And the guy on bottom's like, what? what? What's going on? Is, is it over right now? And he started, he looks towards the clock. And as he's doing that, Perez just dives on with this north-south choke. I was like, oh, we have hit peak Perez. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is the most Perez thing I've ever seen in my yeah. life. That is awesome. So. Yeah. Michael on his Instagram went to explain that it's a thing you can do if your opponent is playing ultra-defensive and, and not giving you any openings. And, and Nogi, I feel like that's especially possible where you can just clam up and it's like you're not getting a sub and you've already gone as far as you're going to get positionally. Unless yeah. you do some crazy shit like mm-hmm. ghosting, so it clearly worked. He got into a north-south position, and I think it was super interesting. Yeah. You know, like at this time in in jujitsu, everyone is so good, so you have to come up with new and creative ways to win. And that just, I think, 
maybe too creative. I don't know. But, <laughs> but that falls into <laughs> Perez's wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, he's he's a wrist locker. He likes kind of some of those sneaky attacks, and that definitely was sneaky. I think so. he can only do that once, though. No one's going to let Mike Perez get up and waltz away mid-match anymore. They're going to Well, you got to protect yourself at all times, right? Yeah. yeah. You match. It's you not don't stop like, until the yeah. referee says. And, you know, speaking of the wrist locks, because remember he hit that really dirty, nice wrist lock from uh, Kasai Pro Craig Jones. 2? Two? 2, yeah. Two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, man, he was kind of hunting for those at Nogi Pans, and the guy was like, get, get, away, <laughs> get off my, hands, my wrists, so. man. Yeah. Um, and there was another real standout moment from um, Nogi Pans as well. Uh, th- this is just amazing. I-, I think this is a trend that I would like to see continue. Joao Miao and brown belt Talison Suarez, both, you know, very, let's call them infamous guard players because those guys are just like Baron Bolo machines and stuff. They both hit double leg takedowns. I was like, what is going on here? Like, the, the world's upside down. You changing, know, man. black is white, north is south. <laughs> Guard pullers are shooting double legs. This is incredible. So, it's been a big topic of discussion, I think, around our office about how the lighter weight classes are taking a much more keen interest in the top game, in wrestling, but also passing, pressure passing. Um, I, we're seeing a really well rounded lower weight class, I think, lately, and it's showing. I know I, I, when I went to, um, for Kasai Pro 3, I, when I went to Unity, I saw um, a lot of those guys wrestling in the, in the room. So I think we even have a, um, some, some content coming out later today with, the, with the Meows wrestling. Ooh, so, so a stay, little tease Stay right tuned for that one because it's just yeah. Meow versus Meow in a oh. wrestling match only. And actually, see, I've experienced... The Paolo Meow takedown. He so did. I know really? I know how lethal it is, man. I know. You got it's you. legit. <laughs> it's legit. Oh yeah, it's legit. Nice. You're D1 wrestler too, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think uh, I think it just I don't I don't think it's just the the lighter ranks. I think all of jujitsu is getting more well rounded. I think we're at this time where there's so many opportunities for guys, you know, if it's uh, nogi sub only you know where you need the wrestling you need kind of like the top game um, or gi events you know so it's like I think it's just this evolution of jujitsu that's happening and you know we're we're getting to benefit we're getting I mean, to see I'm it. super excited to see it because you know um, the Meow Brothers were, were really good examples of, of guys who were very uh, they were in a really in a box you know you could describe mm. their games very very simply pretty much like five words guard pullers baron bolo guys you know whatever take the back pretty much yeah. but um you know we've seen them starting to de- you know develop their guard passing skills they're playing a lot of pressure passing and now adding in the takedowns and stuff i guess they're more you know they're so comfortable in every other area of the game that now they can open up and i just think it's a it's an amazing of course nobody more well known for pressure pressure passing than Murillo santana head coach sure. of of Unity Jiu-Jitsu, so he's the perfect guy to, to learn, probably. They recently had a seminar that I wish I could have been at in New York. It was a Marilla Santana, I think, Paula Orjoao Meow pressure passing seminar. Yeah. And that probably had some sweet details of that. So. That sounds but fun. But going back to Will's point, I do agree that, like, man, it did seem like a couple years ago, right? Like, like the factions of Jiu-Jitsu were so separate, you know? Like, they were so segregated in that, like, it was like, these sub-only guys, these are the gi guys, you know? And it does feel like that we've funneled them all into like um, you know, more of like a, a one rule set thing now, where people are trying to be good at everything. People want to be good at sub only. People want to be good at points too. And so it feels like everybody's trying to to do it. Um, you know, if you want to get paid, you got to make yourself available. You got to be ready yeah, for I think, anything. I think yeah, the money yeah. and just the the rise of jujitsu in general has is is the cause of that. Because look at uh, look at the UFC. You know, back in the day, you were one dimensional. You had you were striker style versus style. style, versus style. Yeah. Now every guy is everything: wrestler, striker, grappler, everything. So it's true. You don't see that many 
many specialists operating at the highest levels in jiu-jitsu, guys who are just good at one thing, you know, you got to be well-rounded. It's, it's key, right? I think but, people kind of like, I think, you know, if you're on the scene for this long too, you get exposed. Like, man, if you're just doing this one, you're one dimension, you're just doing this one thing. People are going to figure it out. Figure it out. You can yeah, shut it course. down. Yeah. 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 Still. I don't think anybody really figured out how to kill that Barambolo game from those two. That's, that's true. <laughs> you that's know, true. I, I always used to say that, that, you know, if people had criticisms over the Barambolo game and, you know, the Meow Brothers are two excellent examples that people would refer to negatively about the Barambolo mm. game. But they were by no means the only people out there doing it. You know, there were a ton of guys using the, the amazing Delaheva Barambolo game, very, very intricate leg fighting game. And it became part of the meta game, right? It became a part of the thing that everybody's doing all the way down to like blue belts. It's a stuff. standard. And, but they were always used as like the scapegoats. Ah, oh, killing jujitsu, these mm -hmm. guys and stuff. But my, my comeback was always, man, you got a problem with it? Deal with it. Beat it, shut it down, stop mm -hmm. them doing it, beat them at that game yeah. and show what you want jujitsu to be. And, you know, I guess that did eventually change, but still, it's an ongoing process. That's what I kind of like about the interview that you did with Gianni the other day where he was talking about like, man, I didn't want to be on my butt. I didn't want to do this butt scooting double guard pull anymore. And he was like, man, I just decided to come up. I'm going to be a top guy. And that's that's what he did. Yeah. So I he mean, we, made we, the change. We've been talking about this as well, right? But I've been really excited as well by we mentioned the pressure passing from the, the Unity Jiu Jitsu guys. And obviously, that's definitely a big influence from uh, Murillo Santana. But it's kind of we're seeing a lot of the, the lighter weight guys playing a very tight passing game nowadays. And I think that's a direct result of the fact that what's the best way to shut down that whole game? is, you know, stay on your knees. Don't come up on one, you know, with one leg forward like a lot of guys like to pass, you know? You know, just stay down, heavy, tight. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing guys of, uh, you know, 130 pounds, pressure passing, and they look monstrous. So I think some of those guys maybe gotten burned, right? Like that game is such a 50-50 game a lot of times. You know, mm -hmm. it can go either way a lot of times. And it's like, you know, like we're here to pass the guard, right? So, like, let's try to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, got a lot of stuff to break down, a lot of stuff to uh, discuss. One thing I want to ask you guys a question. So, the Andre Galvão, King of Mats, mm. Abu Dhabi episode documentary, one. episode one dropped yesterday, episode one dropped today. Two. What you guys, sorry, episode two dropped today. What do you guys think? It's one of my favorite flow films we've ever done. Right. Um, I agree. Because... A lot of time, we, we try and bank on a guy winning. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're do this project, we have a documentary, and we hope he gets gold and it's gonna, everyone's happy. But there's a serious story arc here because Andre did not win King of Mats in Abu Dhabi, and he actually ended up retiring. So for us, it's this monumental moment in jiu-jitsu, right? Like Andre Gaval, one of the greatest of all time, is, is done with competitive mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu. Kind of the, the, the end of an era. That almost. was a shock, you know? Um, so basically, I'm, I'm you know... Andre loses uh, his second match in King of Mats and he's out of the tournament doesn't make it through to the finals and you know we're sort of like kind of figuring out man what does that mean like you know for our documentary for our film we weren't thinking bigger picture right because how often do jujitsu jiu guys lose all the time is the answer yeah. right people pick themselves up they dust themselves off and they go on back onto the next one obviously when somebody like Andre loses it's a little more significant right because He's such a, he a, never loses. a big name, <laughs> really, really loses. The guy's accomplished so much, so him losing is big news. But we're kind of trying to figure out, man, what does this mean for our documentary? How are we going to mm -hmm. change the story and stuff? And then he just turns to me backstage, and he just straight up retires on camera. He's like, you know, just I'm not saying this because I'm emotional. 
You know, I'm not saying this because my feelings are hurt. You know, I've been thinking about it for a while. I've got my ADCC super fight next year. I'm going to do it. But other than that, I'm done. And we were just like, wait. What was that like what, to hear those what, words what? in real time? Shocking, yeah. man. I kind of like, there was a sense of disbelief. I'm kind of processing it thinking, wait, did Andre Carvalho just retire right now? Like, mm. what am I, am I actually witnessing this moment? Because of all the people in the sport who have accomplished so much, five-time world champion, I think, um, how many times? Five-time ADCC mm-hmm. with three-time the, super fight there winner. There you go. I lost count of the amount of accomplishments he's got, you know? I think three-time world pro winner as well. So when that moment happened, I was literally just, I was stunned. Absolutely stunned. And you, even though he says that it didn't come from like an emotional reason it wasn't mm-hmm. like i'm upset so i'm done i'm retiring you could see he was very heartfelt moment and yeah. i think you know anybody who watches the documentary will agree it's powerful it's stuff. clear that it was definitely something that was weighing on on andre it seemed like for I don't, I don't know how long but it definitely looked like a long time you know i'm obviously the way he's built up atos in the last couple of years i remember when i interviewed him in like 2015 at nogi worlds and I remember talking to him about atos being um, a young team and being like a, a new kind of up-and-coming team that that's trying to make their mark and now look at atos you know like mm-hmm. the way the way he's built it up so i think he's he's put his focus in his students and he's put, put his focus in the team atos building that up and and I mean, already, obviously, the results are, are there. He's the you know, two-time team champion at the world, at IBJJF World. So what he's built already, I think, is impressive. And, and I think what, what he's going to continue to build with Atos and with the rest of his students, you know, is going to be uh, something to, to look for for, for a lot, m- many years to come. I mean, it was going to happen, right? Yeah. You have to yeah. think about it. Everybody's career <clears throat> is finite. Athletic careers are. He's been in the game a very long time. And at 35, I think we mentioned this last year, you know, like, jujitsu years are like dog years. You know, there's yeah. a lot of wear and tear on the body. So it's somebody who's been operating at the highest level since his early 20s. It's just yeah. incredible. But it was interesting. It had to come, right? He just, he, you saw it. He just felt like you could see that he was like, man, th- this is the time. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that I really respect when someone realizes that their time may be over, coming to an end, and they can actually end it you know instead a lot of, of athletes struggle with that right? a lot of athletes can't let it go man and they keep coming back we see it in mma all the time these guys mm. just keep coming back and then they just you know ruin their legacy toward the end because they're just getting beat i mean crazy. i would argue that we maybe a little less so because with the uh, availability of masters tournaments and maybe the ability to pick and choose super fights That's as well true. uh guys can compete at a say a reduced level longer right, right? Well, the consequences are less severe than mma sure too. but i mean there are avenues for veterans to continue competing but i definitely think there are some guys you know competing in the adult divisions who have potentially passed their prime and sometimes you think man i, I have fond memories of you you know competing as like this young aggressive mm-hmm. like dynamic guy and and to see people change you know and, and it's a natural consequence of aging right. but to see them change as athletes and as you know it, you kind of think yeah Maybe I'd like to see you against some other old guys and not necessarily how, with the young guns. That's how good winning feels, huh? Like that's yeah, how good chasing that, that, glory. that glory feels, man. There's just nothing but else like it, right? That's what uh, that's what Andre does so well, or this this film kind of depicts so well is the transition yeah. of you know Andre's time to now, like you were saying, Atos. And Kynan was there. He was still a, a brown belt at the time. He took gold. So it was, Angelica, yeah, his wife, took Angelica gold. Angelica took yep. gold, right. So you, now you see this transitional piece where Andre goes from legendary competitor to legendary coach 
And, I mean, uh, to be honest, he was already doing pretty well there, right? And, and still competing at the highest level, like true. you said. Mm. So. But, they, but they are still, Atos still is a young team comparatively yeah. to, to everybody else. So that, that, that is what's really impressive to me. And it's amazing, really, when you think about all their athletes are more or less located at HQ. Like they have mm. Bianca, Basilio, Bianca Basilio and uh, Leo Laura. They're down at Almeida Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. But I think most of the team is in San Diego in yeah. that room, which is yeah, sort of an, amazing that they're winning the team title right there. And one thing we know about Andre is that he's on the mats every day training with those guys. That dude's an setting, animal. Setting yeah, an yeah. example. You know, that's what he does best. I his think. Instagram, it blows me away daily because you'll see his morning workout, then he's coaching, then he's resting, then he's hanging out with his daughter, then he's lifting, then he's coaching. It's like, my God, this guy is just a beast. Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he's I got mean, one fight left, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not in Pan 2019 yeah, ADCC super fight. Which is not that far away anymore. Yeah, Less than a calendar year, maybe. Year, so. Right? September, I, know, I know that Andre and, and Felipe have, have a, a bit of a history between them. A little so. back and forth there. Yeah, yeah, a little back and forth. So I don't know what, what the state of it is these days, but um, that's a good match. They seemed pretty respectful with each other at ADCC last year, right? Yep, you know, yep. after Felipe won the absolute and, you know, of course they know they're going to face off, right? So it seemed pretty cool, but yep. for sure, I mean, still. A lot on the line right there, right? When it comes to when it comes to I'm already getting goosebumps. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, you know, ADCC 2019. I'm like, <laughs> God, I cannot wait for that. It's gonna be so fun. Well, speaking of events to look forward to, uh, we got a couple of big events this weekend. Actually, uh, let's dive in. We're talking about obviously the documentary was filmed in Abu Dhabi at the World Pro when they ran the King of Mats tournament for the first time. So this weekend we have the Abu Dhabi Grand Slam Los Angeles and. In the same venue, the following day, the King of Mats returns for a heavyweight bracket. Ten of the top black belts in the world signed up for that. First of all, let's discuss the uh, the Grand Slam really quick. So, I hear there are some uh, some big name purple belts signed up to compete. Right? Some super jacks, some killers, super nasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, hats off to you guys though going in there with. Uh, so if you haven't figured it out, Chase yeah, and Chase Reed, Reed are competing. competing. Yeah. So what's the deal, guys? What what prompted that move? Man, we love to compete when yeah. we can, and uh, it's always a gamble. You know, we're there to cover, we're there to work, and so you never really know how the schedule is going to work out. But the UAE thought of us, and they put all the black belts first, <laughs> and then had some masters divisions. Which that, all, that was just for you, by that, the way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, <laughs> pull some strings, but. Um, it's it's always a pleasure to compete at a UAE uh, JJF event because they're super organized, professional. You're walking on felt carpet. It feels like I mean, it's just a different sort of experience. Um, and it, and of course, answer some money they on the give line. Out that oh, cash yeah. money money prices. <laughs> they give out that yeah, cash. that's why you're in for it. Huh? That's why I'm here. That's, that's the only reason. reason why I'm competing. <laughs> so, so get that grand prize. <laughs> he's got to take out Connor DeAngelis though. That's uh, that's the way the brackets have fallen out. No easy division. What what is it for purple belts? I forget. What's the price? Is like five hundred bucks. I think or it's six hundred for first place. Six hundred. I think it's six hundred. That's not bad. What are you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with the money, Reed? I don't know. I don't think I'm allowed to say on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm gonna do with the money? But, <laughs> but the, the, the Grand Slam it definitely looks a lot of fun. Um, it's a one day tournament, seven mats. The level. Man, the divisions aren't huge, but the level is really, really high. Uh, we were looking through the brackets quickly earlier there, right? And the black belt brackets in in, in particular, god damn, there's some <laughs> crazy first round matches to expect. But, you know, some of the way that the brackets have been loaded as well doesn't really... Um, doesn't make it easy to give any hard predictions. And one, one particular bracket that I have to pull up and mention is the 69 kilo black belt mm. division. So on one side of the bracket, you've got, ready, Pablo Mantovani, Rafael Mansour, and Gianni Grippo. And then on the other side of the bracket, 
You got Kennedy Maciel and Paolo Miao. What? I wow. mean, damn. That's insane. Right? Kennedy's biggest uh, tournament at Black Belt today, uh, likely seeing Paulo in the semis. So a lot on the line right there. A lot. Yeah, I mean, Gianni's first match is most likely going to be against Rafael Mansour, who he lost to in the final of Brazilian Nationals. That's so, right. you know, that's a, a nice little It's a close match, right too. It's super close, right? Really tough. A super tough. Rafael Mansour, is, he's from uh, NS Brotherhood, right? He's from uh, mm-hmm. Leandro Lowe's team. Super underrated. Like, very, very, you know, just flies under the radar. People sleep on him all the time. Guy's an absolute killer. He doesn't say a lot, even in the interview and stuff. Like the guys, remember when we interviewed him in Brazil earlier this year? Will mm-hmm. even the guys in the gym were joking, saying that like you know he just oh you're so shy, you know. He like, seems very stoic to me, you know. It's just very like yeah. you know he's got one focus and that's to go out there and have some dudes up on the match. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then one, Pablo, one, Mont- sorry Pablo Mantovani as well is you know he's he's likely to meet the winner of that match in the uh, in the semifinal and. God damn, I mean, that in itself right there. Like, you know, Pablo's like an up-and-comer. Thiago Macedo is on that side of the bracket as well. They're just like stacked, man. There's like so many tough One thing guys. I love about uh, the Abu Dhabi Grand Slam too is that they have to fight for third place. Yeah, there's a repertoire. So regardless of who makes it to the final, we're still going to see an awesome fight for third. I'm a huge fan of that. I know some guys don't like the fact that, um, you know, you have to go back into the bracket and fight a couple of times to get into the third place match. But I would much rather see a decisive match for a third place spot on the podium than just like two consolation prizes mm-hmm. for winning, losing in the semifinal. You Definitely. Know? At the very least, even if it's not a repechage, I would like to see the two losers in the semifinals fight for third place. Yeah. But the repechage is kind of cool because maybe a guy that you like goes out like, you know, like after two matches, but he comes back and he has like another three matches. You get to see him in action again. Uh, that's kind of cool yeah. for me. Definitely. As a spectator, it's awesome. As a yeah. competitor, you got a long <laughs> day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Good thing they're only six minutes. It's matches. almost harder that's to true. win third than gold. You yeah. have to win more matches. But, but that, that's what I, the Grand Slam, man, especially it, this, it's in Southern California, you know, it's like the mecca of jiu-jitsu. So it's like every one of these divisions, everyone from blue to, to black is pretty stacked, man. Like it's like all the teams that are going to be there, you know, it's it's the, the mecca of jiu-jitsu, right? In, in, in that, terms of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's the biggest place, one of the biggest places in the in the world, right, f- to hold a tournament. So that's, I think it's going to be stacked all the way through all weekend. It's going to be crazy. Give me some good matches. In terms of talent, for me, it's second only to the World Pro. Because, you know, the World Pro, you've got all the top guys in the world coming in, you know, flying into Abu Dhabi for the biggest event of the year on their calendar. The other Grand Slams, like Tokyo, Rio, London, Abu Dhabi, yeah, sure, they're tough. But, you know, L.A., they're just a short drive away, right? Mm. All these guys in Southern California. So yeah. It's where most of the professional full-time athletes are located. Like Rio, so you Cal- see a lot yeah. of the, the local guys that are super tough and some big names, but a lot of them aren't able to do full-time jiu-jitsu where in la if you're want to be competitive as a black belt you're pretty much that's all you're doing well but, even even at the Rio grand slam one thing we noticed that the majority of guys who were winning and dominating at uh the Rio grand slam they're all from sao paulo yeah they're just driving up it's like a six-hour drive mm-hmm. but they all come up from sao paulo and you know you know what's interesting though is it seems like a lot of guys are actually flying in for this one like you said half mentor leo lara right jackson Suze is adam Wazinski's coming from poland rankings maybe it's got to be a consideration right because you need um you need to be ranked uh in the uajjf to to qualify for world pro i mean there's a cash prize for the winner as well which i'm sure sweetens the deal but maybe these guys are already planning ahead for world pro next year 
Let's hope. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the rankings race is a huge thing. I mean, 25 yeah. grand is a big deal. Ooh, mm. Speaking of the, the, the rankings race, one, one guy that we didn't mention because, you know, we're focusing on the adult divisions here. But if you look at the Masters divisions, Marcus Tanaka was signed up at Masters 1. Really? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he told me last week. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Grand Slam. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, Masters 1? So he basically just turned 30, right? And he's like, yeah, man, because... I can go for the ranking prize. Mm. The rank- one? Yeah. They still, have, the- they still have a they prize. They do have Masters. ranking. And it's like five-figure sum. It's, it's good, a smart man right man. there. Yeah. I, I get paid. I, I like that. I won it last year. I don't even know. Masters what, what, one, I forget, actually. What, but was I it mean, Pablo Silva? I don't know if it okay, was. Oh, yeah. Potentially. He was right up there. Yeah. What time do Purple Belts go, Chase? We, uh, I believe, purple belts begin around 1.30, 1.45 in the afternoon. It's after the black belts have all finished their finals. So, so stick around. Keep an eye out. After the black belts. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So um, stick around indeed because the following day yeah. is the King of Mats, okay? And the King of Mats is looking to be one of the biggest tournaments of, the, of, the, of this quarter, of this half of the year, right? Definitely. Ten of the biggest names. Do you want to run through who we got, Will? Who we can expect? Yeah, yeah. So we've got Herbert Santos, which is insane. Dibs. <laughs> Gabriel Larges is is competing up with the heavyweights. I mean, he's usually a middleweight, right? Yep. So Correct. he's up with the heavyweights. I think that's insane, by the way. I mean, the balls on that guy, right? To get in there with guys like Evangelista and Herbert. That's how he made heavyweight, dude. <laughs> you saw him working out on the beach he was, uh, he's getting ready for those heavyweights yep. Gutenberg Pereira who just took uh, took the gold in the Tokyo Grand Slam had an awesome performance there he was just beating everyone like crazy uh, Hudson Mateus also just won Tokyo Grand Slam Jackson Souza Ricardo Evangelista Adam Wardzinski Tanner Rice Alexandro Sassoni he's a 2009 he won the uh, the World Pro and then uh, Gerard Lebinsky. So, and this is a round all, robin event, by the way. It's not yes. just a bracket. It's two groups, and they compete, and then the winners of each group face off in the final. That's so, right. ju- important to note that all these guys are either World Pro champions, Grand Slam champions, or highly ranked guys in the UAE JJF rankings, right? Um, so, you know, you don't get there by accident. You have to be invited. And even, you know, it's not just an invitation based on, oh, we think you're good. No, you have to prove that you're good. Right. You have to prove that you're worth being there. So that's pretty cool. One thing I love about this lineup is that it's there's not one person to me that just stands out like, oh, he's going to win. You know, like we, we say Herberth, like, you know, he's dominant. But we were talking about this earlier. Herberth has got to be on. You know, if Herberth's not having an on day, then he won't go very it's deep. It's going to be a long day because be he's got day. a lot of matches. <laughs> but yeah. anybody, there's so many good guys. I mean, Tanner Rice does really well. Uh, he did really well at the first King of Mats in I'm in super excited to see Hudson, actually. I think oh, yeah. Hudson with Tyson man. It's just surprising people. Gutenberg is just a freak. You know, Gerard Lebinski, that guy is literally a freak of nature. He's just a... Looks like a super uh, superhero. Yeah. I'm just waiting, man. I'm just waiting for Adam Wardzinski to have that huge breakout moment because he is primed for it, you know. And this could absolutely be it. And he's one of the most active competitors out there, dude. He, he's all over the place. I don't know how he gets the the travel. Let's like, just run through brutal. the groups real quick as well, because uh, you mentioned Adam. I mean, no easy easy route there to the final because he's got Gutenberg, Pereira, Gabriel Arges. Uh, Tanner Rice and Ricardo Evangelista. That's the first group. group. That's that's or his. That's that's Group A. That's the Adams. And then in Group B, you got uh, Urbeth, Gerard Lubinsky, Jackson Souza, 
Alexandro Sacconi and Hudson Mateus. That is just... Man, they're both like mock, they're both crazy. Yeah, There's yeah. no yeah. easy path to so to like the like you said, no no like elimination or anything. It's a round robin, so everybody fights everybody, and then the top two guys from each group go through with a winner of Group A fighting the loser, uh, the second place of Group B, and vice versa. And then those are the semifinals going to the semi, to the, and then the loser of the semifinals fights for third place. A lot of money on the line, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of. Man, the stakes are just so high. What I right? love about this event, too, is the presentation, right? So it's going to be on one mat. It's just mm. going to be one long three-and-a-half, four-hour show. Uh, it's going to be, like, super high production value. I cannot wait just as a spectator. I mean, I'll be working it, but I'm also going to be watching this play out over several hours. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it will. I'm, and, I'm super stoked for that. And if uh, – so Adam Morzinski and Jackson Souza are both on checkmate, right? If they end up facing – They have to fight. They, they have, have to fight. fight. Yeah, that's true. UAJJF do not allow closeouts. Teammates, pff, doesn't matter. Gutenberg and Evangelista will have to fight. They've both got the GF team connection. They'll they'll have to go against each other. So that's true. They're in the same group as well. That's tough, huh? Hmm. So, but man, a lot of fun. And um, speaking of teams, we got a, a, a brand new event coming to Flow Grappling. That's uh, this weekend. It's called Subversive, mm-hmm. and it's featuring a really interesting concept. Four teams are going to be entering five guys each, and they're going to be facing off. Um, similar style, uh, one mat pro show, and it's got Carlson Gracie versus CSW Combat Submission Wrestling versus Team Lloyd Irvin versus Tenth Planet. Wow! So, what are we expecting from Subversive? Dude, team grappling. We've never done it on Flow Grappling before. I love the idea of team grappling. You know, especially in jiu-jitsu, right? These teams are so. Um, they love to to rep the teams, right? It's such a big part. It's such, so tribal in jiu-jitsu. So mm, I think this yeah. is like the perfect event for jiu-jitsu guys because especially um, all those teams, really, the 10th Planet reps the 10th Planet team so hard mm. and Carlson Gracie as well and, and as well as Team Lloyd Irvin. Those those three teams might be like the, the top three teams. Plus CSW's I, got a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. They got true. that kind of catch wrestling, like we're better we than jiu-jitsu vibe oh, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we don't see um, too often. So, I mean, I think it's the perfect, um, you know, amalgamation of, of those teams in, in the format. You know, it's this So it's EBI right? rules as EBI well. Rules. So there's a definitive winner in each match, and I think they just tally up who wins. There's five guys on a team, so the team with more wins advances to the final. I and see. so it's actually, I believe, it is 10th Planet versus uh, CSW first and TLI. No, it's 10th Planet versus uh, Carlson, Carlson Gracie. Gracie. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. And CSW versus TLI. And, I mean, some of the names that have been put forward, like these these teams are sending out their heavy hitters. Mm. The 10th Planet team, Gio Martinez, PJ Barch, Richie Martinez, Kyle Bohm, Liz Carmouche. Damn, it's a pretty deep squad. Liz Carmouche, of course, the uh, UFC, UFC contender. Mm. Yep. And then TLI ascending Jason Suarez, Angelo Claiborne, DJ Jackson, Tim Spriggs, and Niger Easton. So another incredible lineup. You know, they're not taking this lightly, right? It's not they're their sending B squad. like no, it's not yeah, the right? B squad, right? definitely <laughs> not. So I'm, um, I mean, just you know, obviously we, we can't pick the the overall winners right now. There's a, a lot of factors going on right there, but I'm kind of excited to see somebody like 
Tim Spriggs go up against one of the 10th Planet guys or Gio Martinez take on one of the guys from Combat Submission Wrestling. It's a, such an intriguing concept, right? 100. No, it's so, it's so crazy because like we're going from that that morning, earlier that day, we're going <laughs> from the Grand Slam, which is like gi, kind of traditional points and stuff, and then we're going across town to this no-gi sub-only event. It's with a big teams. day for Flow Grappling. That's that event's going to be mayhem. That event's going to be crazy. If you're, if you're out in Southern California, definitely I would suggest going to Suburb. There's also a... Uh, if you're not, it's going to be live on Flow Grappling. <laughs> There's also 13 super fights. It's, it's run by oh, Seth from Fight yeah. to Win, so it's going to have the Fight to Win vibe, Fight to Win stage. A couple uh, good names on that on the card. Uh, too, Marvin right? Castell is on that, Cole Franson. We have uh, Jeremiah Vance, the submission wizard slash brutal master. Um, <laughs> yeah. Real master. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> he hit another one at Nogi Pans. You guys saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, is it? I'm not even sure. Yeah. It was like a double arm lock, Kimura on one arm, armbar on the other. Man, it's just. Yeah, I'm not sure what he actually tapped to. <laughs> I was like, what? Just you tap? What? General pain. <laughs> Yeah. But it's gonna be a great night of grappling. Yeah, I love that. I love that event. I'm super, super looking forward to it. So after after um, Grand Slam, we'll go straight there, right? We'll just dri- drive. Just straight take a there. shower, wash off that ringworm, maybe, and then uh, <laughs> head over to bring Super your gold medal over. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not taking it off. Yeah, just, just dry yourself off by fanning yourself with all the bills, cash. Like. <laughs> Start making bets in the audience. Who's <laughs> gonna win? Man, well, a lot of events coming up. Um, Man, like the, the 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 match archive library on flowgrappling.com, especially from the matches from last weekend, is just firing. I, I definitely suggest you go back and you check that out. And this weekend, there's definitely going to be a lot of matches to catch up on. We'll be doing our best to highlight some of the best action from uh, from over that you know three events in two days. It's going to be a lot of jujitsu, but. Um, just taking a slightly different direction, let's talk about some of the current affairs and some of the news that's going on in the jiu-jitsu world right now. Um, yeah, I guess back to the whimsical news. The whimsical yeah. news. <laughs> it hasn't been whimsical yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the biggest topics that people have been talking about this last week or so um, was the fact that Eddie Cummings was cited training at Unity Jiu-Jitsu Gym. Mm. And we mentioned Unity there, Murillo Santana, home of the Mao Brothers, Talison Suarez, and all the color belt killers. Henzo Gracie, was the team of choice for Eddie Cummings, right? From blue belt through black belt, he was one of the foremost members of the Danaher Death Squad. Yeah, yeah. Moved away from that over the last, not sure exactly how long, but he became less of a prominent figure which, which at, I, I in don't the think, gym. Which I don't think was really public knowledge for, for a long time. I think, I think no. we, we knew, but but I think most people didn't know that Eddie hadn't been training at, at Henzo Gracie Academy. Because he for, just gradually backed out of things, right? It seemed I mean, like... At he, least a year I, he hasn't been training there. So I, I mean, I, I'm not sure. But like still he took involved, some time off. But he was still too. with yeah, the Henzo team. Still in the another facility. Teaching classes at like Henzo Gracie in Brooklyn and I think maybe in Queens as well. Mm-hmm. But man, for him to be cited at Unity and for him to confirm after the rumors started twirling that he, yes, he is now training at Unity, that's big fucking news. Yeah. Right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, just obviously, the, the, he has such a big connection with, with Henzo Gracie, and like you said, kind of one of the founding members, one of the members that popularized the Danaher Death Squad, one of the members that popularized... The um, leg lock system. Yeah, the, the mm. whole leg lock system. You know, he's one of the first guys who was out there consistently submitting people with, with heel hooks and things like that. So I think when people think of Eddie Cummings, like, they really do pair him and John Danaher, him mm. and Enzo Gracie together. So that's why it is so surprising that um, such, like, a, an integral member of the mm. Danaher Death Squad of the Henzo Gracie Academy is not there anymore. Yeah. You know, when and a lot of the other guys are still there, but he... He left and, and went to um, Unity, which is now Crossed our rival. Yeah, yeah, which bit. is just right across the street, basically. It's like five blocks yeah, it's like away. Yeah, it's like yeah. a couple I mean, blocks away. Yeah. 
if right. you're, if, if you're going to go to a, a different school in the same city, I think Unity has to be the place. You know, it's in their Does name. It? Well, no, there's I plenty mean, of jujitsu. Marcelo is no, essential. Because, I mean, I've, I'm no. pretty sure the whole idea behind Unity is that it's like no politics, no flags. You know, I mean, it's got that Cicero Costa background, right? But they, I mean, we've seen they've already taken in other people in their doors. Uh, I think Munchy, that's... Uh, Dylan Dennis is two great examples, came from Marcelo's, right? Exactly right. So I think that's that's a great place for him. Plus, I mean, that that room is so diverse. There's so many different types of games going in. Now you've got add the leg leg attack game to, to those guys. I think Unity just just stepped it up It's right in time true, for ADCC true. season as well. So I think it'll be beneficial for everyone in the room. Well, that's it, the, it, that's one of the most interesting parts about it, right, is, mm. is that ADCC is coming up. And you have to think that that's... That, played into um, his decision because you know that he's probably going to have to do the trials again, right? Oh, definitely. No, he will. So he'll have to yeah. do the trials again. And he might have to face Paulo. So 66 kilos. Well, do you think no. Paulo will have to do the trials again? Potentially, but if they do I'm go into the trials, then Paulo goes to the Brazilian trials. Because uh, it's based yes, on nationality and region, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't necessarily face each other in the trials, but... but at Worlds. Potentially, you know, what, Worlds, what yeah. happens? Like, you know, apparently, and I'm, I don't want to put words in Eddie's mouth, but this is what I've heard from talking to people with you know, pretty good knowledge of the situation is one of the factors that influenced his decision to leave was the fact that he wasn't comfortable training in the same room as what he considered to be his competition. That there obviously there's a, a, a rotating cast of characters coming through the Danaher, mm. sorry, coming through the Hensel Gracie gym because it's such a, a hub in New York and there are always guys coming through and not always those, you know, those guys aren't always like um, on the same team, right? They receive a lot of visitors there. But Apparently, there were concerns that he'd have to fight for his spot amongst other people on the team as well. A lot of featherweights and stuff. And he's not the only one. talking about guys like Ethan Kralinston, guys Oliver like... Taza, even Nicky Ryan. Nicky a lot Ryan, of lightweight Frank guys. Frank Rosenthal, yeah. too. And, you know, John Callistine was also one of those guys John. who moved away from training at the main Hendo Gracie's for the same reason. Like, he didn't want to train. He, he was quite open about this, personally. You know, he, 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 was, he was more open because Eddie Cummings is not an open character. He's a very private individual. He doesn't really post a lot on social media. When he does, it's very vague. You know, he doesn't engage. And even if you speak to him, he, he, he doesn't really like to give too much away. He likes to do the ju- let the jiu-jitsu do the talking, right? Mm. But... The deal is that, you know, one of the reasons was he wasn't comfortable training in a room where he felt that, you know, people were studying his game. People were coming after him and and potentially were, you know, going to have to face him in competition. So with all that in mind, what the hell? Unity, Mm. man. Because you could potentially, you're you're training now with the Meow Brothers and a bunch of other guys. It's exactly the same situation. That's true. I don't know. I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but it (coughs) seems... Maybe there's a... a I don't know, expected lifetime, shelf life of this relationship. Maybe he's there for a few months, just Potentially. figuring out his next move. Because you've got to get the, the invite, right? You got, or you've got to win the, the trials to get to the next step. So yeah. why even worry about ADCC Worlds until you can get the invite? Yeah, until yeah. you can get One that. One step at that. a time, right? Yeah. So you know, maybe that's the, the thought process. Murillo, as we have said in the past, is just like one of the coolest guys. And as you said, Will, you know, they're totally open to anybody coming down and training. It's really no politics vibe at that gym. And uh, they're all about, their motto is hard work by good people. And I like that because that is really, they, they also issue the social media drama and yeah. the, the gossip and stuff. And they're just like, man, just get on the mat, train, compete, you know, win. That's, that's what matters. And I'm sure Eddie vibes well with that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I spoke to Murillo last week and he was just, 
very cool about it, as you'd expect. He was just like, man, Eddie's welcome, man. I just told him it's, it can't be a secret. You know, if you're going to train here, you've got to be open about it. And, mm. you know, just don't try and hide it. Don't try and, you know, go behind anybody's back. But, uh, you know, didn't say any more than that. Didn't say that that's his big move. It, it's definitely going to wrap unity and stuff. Who knows what and, the future is. And they like posted, was. He po- what, what kind of set it off, right, was he posted a picture with uh, Manchukar and Munch, which, and those guys had a, a rivalry. They fought they, ACC rules fight. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, I think the only thing guys. crazier than that would have been if it was a picture with Dylan. I'm sure it's coming, right? Dylan's in in LC each other. I'd say um, a rivalry, though, between Munchie and uh, and Eddie Cummings. Actually, they were always super cool with each other. Munchie's a super chill guy. They're teams, anyway. Eddie basically lived very, very close to Marcelo's gym. And when Munchie would go and train at Marcelo's, they would literally cross each other on the street every single day. Every single day. It'd be like, (laughs) that's what they all say that. Dylan says he's still. Walks by um, Marcelo Garcia. On he the, lives on the super street. close, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still walks by him. That's crazy. Harasses him as he walks by. <laughs> they says they don't. They don't even make eye contact. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. What do you guys think about team loyalty? Okay, it's it, the next extension of this conversation is: Do, do you owe uh, some loyalty to your team that got you so far in your career? Why do you bring it up, Chase? Well, there was a <laughs> recent discussion about. Um, what could be called poaching or or aggressively recruiting young and upcoming athletes. This is a little bit different than Eddie Cummings' situation where he's more of a free agent but more like some fire blue or purple belt that could be ready to make the next jump being recruited by a really uh, successful team with you know maybe, maybe uh, the right kind of training opportunity for them, but maybe not. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's a tough it's one. happening. Yeah, that, yeah. I think that's, that's the first thing we need to confirm. Oh, it's right absolutely here. happening. It's absolutely happening. Like, there are uh, multiple teams out there who are definitely, you know, looking at up and coming talent, specifically colored belts, you know, rather than trying to go after established black belts. And they're straight up, you know, offering them opportunities to join their team. Um, so, you know, it's, it's known to occur. People have alluded to it in the past. Recently, people have more openly complained about it. I'm not going to name names because I don't think it's fair to single anybody out because it's a practice that's pretty common. But, you know, the main thing is, first of all, before we get into, you know, good or bad, hey, let's just say for a fact, we know it goes on, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that um, that it's a tough one. And I wasn't honestly sure how I was going to answer the question until until right now. But um, I don't know. I mean, like if, if one team is offering an opportunity that that your team can't offer, it just it just seems like obvious to take the opportunity to, to mm. me i mean you know? it's, it's it's the we see this in sports all the time you yeah. know like do you want to play for the yankees or do you want to play for the cleveland browns to baseball. <laughs> yeah. nobody wants Man. to play nobody wants to play <laughs> the that's quite the move there <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's like and i think it just speaks to the evolution of the sport as well like it's growing now you can have like a legit career legit future if you get with the right squad you have the right people around you hey just a little point there you mentioned that perfect example of high level sports you know soccer football whatever it might be people will you know sign a contract and they'll go from one team to another right it happens a lot but it doesn't make it any less emotionally charged right mm. because you literally have fans burning jerseys Dude, LeBron's, right lebron's in the lakers now man <laughs> yeah. you know, like. they'll burn their jerseys after a guy has deserted their team you know and it's like it's such a a tribal thing you mentioned tribal earlier right same thing so um yeah of course passions are going to be high about this um 
I kind of think I'm, I'm leaning more towards how you feel about this, Reed. I think, you know, especially if there's a guy who's maybe from a smaller team and they are working their way up through the ranks and they show some promise, it's an opportunity, a, a, a huge opportunity. If somebody reaches out to you, a world-class team reaches out to you and offers you, say, sponsorship, accommodation, you know, training with some of the best, toughest guys in the world, then if your goal is to become like a world-class jiu-jitsu guy, a world champion at any belt level, you'd have to consider that offer seriously. I've said this before. Jiu-jitsu is an individual sport. We train with a team, right? But everyone remembers your name. They remember Andre Galvao. They remember Bouchesha, right? Of course, they know what team they're on. But this, when you go down in the history books, it's all about your name, what you did as an individual. So to give yourself the best opportunity, I don't think is, is the worst thing. But it's not very acceptable in jiu-jitsu, right? Because like you said, there's a real culture of loyalty, right? Absolutely. And it, I mean, we talked a little bit about basketball and football and things. And I don't want to use the I – th- I think maybe the best word secular. Like, like people view those sports as professions, like you're a basketball player. But in jiu-jitsu, it's also a lifestyle. And you also – a lot of people do it that don't have any intention of competing. So you have – this like family vibe that I think maybe a lot of other sports don't have. And so you're leaving your family, I think, is the way some people that are more committed to this loyalty, creage sort of mentality. Ooh, family is a good word because um, especially for a lot of these uh, athletes and especially the coaches who, who you know talk about the athletes or being approached, that they often refer to their bond with their athletes in a familial way, you know? I can imagine it being pretty devastating, right, to, to meet some, some kid when he's 10 years old, you know, and um, bring him into your jiu-jitsu gym, and, uh, you know, maybe he, he get, takes to it, and, and you kind of shepherd him along the way, and he starts winning some local tournaments, and you continue to shepherd uh, his talent, and he, and he starts winning some, some, you know, regional tournaments and things like that, you know, and you, you think you kind of have something, and you've shepherded, and now he's 17, 18 years old, and so you've been shepherding him along this this path of jiu-jitsu for, for five, seven, eight years or something like that, and then all of a sudden, because, you know, a, a bigger team like an AOJ or something like that w- comes out, and they and they can offer something that, that your original team can't offer, and so I can understand how that that's, like, it's very stink. frustrating, mm. you know, because you did spend a lot of time there, but it, it also just feels like it's just... At the end of the day, it feels kind of to me like it's just business a little bit, you know, like that you can still have those those relationships. You know, I remember um, it reminds me of when um, that clip there of Isaac Bayens um, coming up to going up to his his coach after the end. Fabio Andrade. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a good example of a of of a, a promising competitor. I don't remember if if Isaac was a blue or purple belt, but he was basically he came up from a same deal from a very young age. Um, under Fabio Andrade, who is Novo Niao in Bangu, same team as uh, Marcio Andre. And uh, Isaac left at a blue or purple belt and he went to Alliance. And it was a huge, huge deal. Like, you know, the guys at Novo Niao were pissed. And I'm sure Fabio, he didn't say much, but I'm sure he, you know, felt the sting because we forged strong bonds on the mat, right? Even just amongst training partners. Yeah, that's a great point. So, from a, a coach to a young man perspective, there is definitely like a, a, a strong relationship. And for often for young men who come from, say, you know, broken homes with no father figure mm-hmm. and stuff, an even stronger bond is forged. I want to say that as well. That's a great point. Um, but uh, just uh, let me finish yeah, real yeah. quick. It's just that Isaac, the, what you mentioned there, the example of him 
winning his black belt world champion medal, the first thing he did was he walked off the mat, he walked over Fabio Andrade, he took it from around his neck and he gave it to him. And he's like, thank you. That was like goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. 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 Even you just t- t- talking yeah. about it, right? Give, give us all right. goosebumps. <laughs> you know, I think there, you can look at the other side of it too. Like, at what point does the coach have to say, man, am I just holding on to this athlete for my own personal you know, am I am I limiting their potential? Should I let them go? Should I? Yeah. Do I have the resources to get? If I look back at Andre Galvao, and the story goes is that Andre kind of outgrew his professor when he was starting. He was because that definitely happens. And then his coach was like, you know what? You should go to the big city. You should go to Rio because you have a lot of potential. You know, you had you need more than what I can offer you. Bernardo Faria told me a very very similar story that as well. I think Marcelo Garcia had a similar story too. That a lot of these guys will will just be good and they'll just be in a gym and and they'll stand out and you know if that guy does want to achieve the you know wants to get to the upper echelons of the sport he can't do that by himself right you Mm -hmm. need a high level team with you you know so but man no team especially if they have even a semi-competitive team nobody wants to suffer a talent drain either right Mm. i think at the end of the day too there could be the right way of recruiting and maybe a more insidious way. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be like, it, can, it might not be direct. You, maybe you can reach out to the person's coach. I mean, there could be a maybe a process that wouldn't be so painful. Do you right. think some of the criticism was as much the 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 method of, of, of this? Quite possibly. Like, I, I think I, as a coach, would be much more open to the idea if someone said, hey, your student's amazing. Here's what I can give them. I don't think you can. You know, might might sting a little bit, but you might see this is a better future for your student, someone you care about. Great. But if they come to you and say, hey, this guy, you know, just sort of hit me up. What do you think? I don't know. I'd feel not quite as good, I think. I hear you. Yeah, I, yeah, I can definitely understand. I can see both sides of the coin. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting debate. Mm. So, uh man, I think there's just one other thing that I would like to talk about today, actually, and I'm I'm sure this will... Definitely be, uh, you know, something to consider, consider, you know, you guys competing this weekend, right? Mm. But the mental side of jujitsu is a topic that I personally feel is quite often overlooked, you know, that a lot of champions, a lot of, um, a lot of high-level athletes will allude to the mental preparations that they will undergo um, for events and for big championships, but they don't necessarily go into specifics too much about what it is that they do. But I think, and, you know, feel free to disagree, but I would say that mental training in jiu-jitsu and mental focus and so on for competition is probably as important as the physical abilities. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that, you know, we go in every day to the gym, all of us, right? Every day we're at the gym, um, Most grinding. Me, but, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, I mean like that's, it's not hard, right? It's not hard to go on, on, on the mats where you train and throw down with your training partners. You know, you go hard, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. It's, it's, you know, it's just what we do every day. And then you go out there on the competition mats and it's different, right? It's, it's not quite the same. Well, what's different? The only thing that's different really is, is your mindset. The only thing that's different really is how you perceive the situation. So that, that's why mental training is maybe the most important thing to do to, to be good at com- competition anyway. Do you I'm, think that a lot of people take it for granted? That they, they, they assume that 
competing will just be the same as training and they, it's something that they overlook that they focus so much on the technical and physical that they go in there and they completely are unprepared for the fact that there's, there's a whole mental component too. There's usually a, a moment of realization that you hear from someone who competed for the first time like damn that was different that was not what I've been doing in here and mm -hmm. you know I, I think um, you look, look to the most successful athletes and they're competing every single weekend they're going to all the IBJJF Opens they're competing whenever they can so it becomes normalized mm -hmm. even uh, Gordon was saying that right in your oh yeah he was saying uh, I'm better when I'm competing every weekend which for me I'm always fascinated by athletes that need to be super cool calm take a nap before they compete and the guys are just like fired up like Leandro Lowe and Marigola that are ready to just like rip anyone's head off right there and I, I haven't found my balance yet you know my mental training is more just trying to stay relaxed I don't want to stress out whether that means I'm physically active and running around and breaking a sweat or if I'm just chilling I haven't found quite I think my my strongest point yet but I'm, I'm watching I'm always watching what the best guys do yeah I think uh, we, we've been around at these tournaments enough to kind of uh, we, we have a pretty good picture of what these guys do the minutes and so on before they get on the mat, right? And maybe just by watching the videos of the matches themselves, you, unfortunately, people miss out on that. But we do see some guys singing and dancing and, and, and you know, with the headphones on and just without a care in the world in the bullpen, like, yeah, I'm having fun, I'm going to do it. And then other guys, you know, sat in a corner, hood down over their eyes, don't come near me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At seminars, whenever I go to a seminar, that's, and, you know, usually... A lot of times they'll open it up for questions and stuff like that, and that's something that I always always ask guys at seminars is you know how, how do you prepare for the competition like day of the competition you know in, an hour before the competition you know like what is how do you get your mind right because like it's Chase said you know it's like I, I'm still working on trying to find my balance for, for competition as well it's something that um, really <clears throat> intrigues me is is finding that balance I think it's I think it's super important I think it's becoming mental training is coming becoming more important as jiu-jitsu is evolving because it's becoming more professional you know everyone is good at everything people are like sometimes we we see this in the finals and stuff people are kind of like negating each other right their their technique is so good but the guy who can maybe, you know, is more mentally tough, can just outgrind somebody or is just has a better game plan or can keep the composure a little bit more. Um, Hoffa Mendes used to do this all the time or used to do mental training. He used to really visualize himself winning, and we can see how, how great Hoffa Mendes did. The one example that really sticks out to me was when um, – um, who's the guy from uh, Espen? Oh yeah, Espen. Yeah, Matisse. Visualization, right? Visualized. Yeah. He he actually visualized at World Pro. Visualized talking to you in an interview after he won the gold medal. Oh, I, ne I never heard that. That's crazy. The gold yeah, medal around yeah. his neck. He actually said to me, like, I put the camera up, and he's like, I already saw this. Like, you know, this <laughs> ran through my head. I, he he played that movie in his head before he competed to prepare for the entire experience. See, he <laughs> works with Gustavo Dantas, who's the, uh, the jiu-jitsu mental sense. coach, right? Mm -hmm. um, and visualization is a, a very well-known tool in sports psychology in general. Um, I think a lot of guys will do it without unnecessarily knowing that, you know, it is actually a thing. But it very much is. It's practiced by athletes at the highest level at every single sport. From a, a guy on the golf course visualizing the perfect swing to, you know, a, a soccer player lifting up the World Cup trophy. You know, it, it exists at every single level. But what I really like about the fact, um, especially about things like visualization and mental training, it can be applied by anybody. Like, we can all benefit from it. Like, you know, 
not just competitors even. Like you guys competing this weekend, I'm sure it's something, you know, you're conscious of, you're going to work on. But man, it can even improve your training, you know, visualization, visualization of techniques before you go into the gym, you know, or just or controlling your mind, like not allowing negative thoughts. In. Exactly. That's a big, por- a big part of sports psychology as well is uh, self-talk, you know, not allowing those negative thoughts to creep into your mind while you're in a bad spot. You know, not beating yourself up over the fact you made a mistake. I worked with a, a sports psychologist uh, years ago when I fought MMA. And, um, you, you know. You fought MMA? I did fight MMA. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> explains, explains the face. <laughs> uh, but one thing that he identified in my training was that I would, something bad would happen and I'd beat myself up over it. You know? Like, oh, f- Fucking hell, God, God, guy passed my guard, and oh, and then it would, things would just go downhill from there. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a little mantra, and uh, it was, it was, fuck it, it's happened, right? Forget it, fix it. Mm. The three In that Fs. order, the three Fs, yeah. <laughs> it was literally, it was that, Fs. and it was a whole bunch of other stuff that we worked on as well. But um, you know, it just it, it's kind of shutting down that negative self talk. Right. And yeah, because once that c- comes into your mind, man, that oof. stuff can really, really kill you. It's totally true. I remember talking to Roberto about it. I'd be like, Roberto, I see you're so happy out there. You know, right? We see Roberto. Oh, yeah, like, singing, laughing. Dancing, yeah. having, and stuff like that. I'm like, Roberto, do you ever, like, have negative thoughts? And he looked at me and was like, negative thoughts? He's like, <laughs> never, ever. He's like, no. He was, like, very, he was, like, so surprised that I asked him about that. And he was like, negative thoughts are nowhere near yeah. me on competition it was day. really cool your uh, your interview with Gianni this week he talks about his evolution as a black belt and when he, he was like a young black belt he wouldn't he wouldn't have the confidence that he had now he would think you know oh man this guy is so good at that and he would have to play up to this person's level where when he got his mind right and he was like the other guy needs to p- play up to my level he started winning yeah. he started doing better he's more comfortable on the mat that's a question of focus right it's like where do you put your focus do you put your focus on variables that you have no possibility of controlling or do you focus on yourself which is the only thing that you have control 100%. over you know yeah. I, I think that was an interesting uh, an interesting point and, and he in that interview he actually mentions as well working with a sports psychologist and some of the inspiration that he's taken from other athletes like um basketball you know three-point drills that lebron you know likes to like or had to do like a guy a coach put him through these mental drills and stuff and how gianni would kind of take inspiration from that and then you know figure out how he could do a similar thing in a jujitsu context is a it's a huge area i think is unexplored and definitely has a lot to well, you, know, you know who uh, talks frequently about um sports psychology and things like that is, is really good is ben Askren. He oh definitely yeah is. um he he's somebody that i think ha- wraps his mind around that stuff really really well he's always talking about sports psychology and then um conor mcgregor's coach john kavanaugh as well yeah he, he's always talking about it too so two guys who just of course the results speak for themselves yeah, right yeah, but then so. there's guys out there like leandro low like i don't he's just yeah, tough as exactly, nails to yeah. begin with like i don't think he has to do any mental but that's well, that no. is a mentality right yeah, yeah, it is yeah. and i think this is one of the, leandro's greatest strengths is 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 his his mind but he does all that in a very instinctual way I right feel, right, right? that's innate. what sets him up exactly it's innate he he doesn't you know necessarily even know that self-talk is a thing right it's like roberto he's like no negative thoughts of course not yeah. right. just does that yeah. he does all those things he knows how to win nobody ever had to sit him down and tell him that yeah, as yeah. Well. but yeah that's what separates the elite from the good right well, that's i know that's always the worst we're like this guy's got it so easy he doesn't i'm trying to like 
pump myself up over here and this guy put down just, our camera it's like all right time to time to go to work the other one you know like this guy just has it you're like <laughs> well guys that was a long one today that was, was uh, just over an hour but okay. man that was a lot of fun today good luck for this weekend you guys i'll show you a lot of fun yeah uh, bring that cash 1 1 30 p.m flowgrappling.com you can watch Ooh. us do our thing but uh, yeah, lots of events coming up and lots of jujitsu to digest. We'll be doing our best to put it all into a, a nice little digestible kind of like format next week, right? We got some uh, some a lot of recapping that'll be going on. So stay tuned for more episodes of Fistful of Collars, and we'll see you next time. Done. Ooh. That's fun. That's good. Oh, there's quite the lag here.